Scofflaws is a show about the history of crime, criminals, and the investigation thereof. There may be discussion of adult themes and generally icky stuff. Also, neither host is a legal professional, and this show does not contain any legal advice. Remember, crime doesn't pay. Unless you're really good at it. Hello, and welcome to the Scofflaws, a history of law and disorder. My name is Sean, and joining me again is my lovely co-host, John. Hello! Say hi, John. Oh, hi, John. <laughs> Normally we ask each other how our week's been, but we're recording this back-to-back to the last one that we did with John here, so it would just be the same thing over again. Sounds good. Yes, it's been so long. <laughs> it's been it's been a tiring 20 seconds. Yes, I know. Welcome, so well, much has happened in the world. Hello, people from the future. From the, the podcast of the future, 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 future. Right. So, John, let me ask you, when you when you think of the quintessential gentleman thief, mm-hmm. I know there's a specific image that comes to most people's minds. Mm-hmm. What's the image that comes to your mind? Me. Oh, man. Gentleman thief. I mean, I probably think of, like, the the first Pink Panther movie or something like that. Maybe Ocean's Eleven. That's probably okay. It. You're... George Clooney. I'm gonna say George Clooney. All right, you're a bit more modern than I I was thinking. Um, I'm thinking of the the French accent, the big tall top hat, the black cloak, the monocle. <laughs> oh man, you got me on Pink Panther again. But now I'm thinking of Peter Sellers. I could see Peter Sellers doing this character. Okay. Um, that all comes from a figure in literature that I don't think a lot of Americans are familiar with, mm-hmm. um, Arsene Lupin. Right. Or Lupin. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's L-U-P-I-N. Lupin, I think. Lupin. It's probably how it's supposed to be pronounced. I took French, so. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the Master Thief and one of the most recognized French literary characters, Arsene Lupin. Right. Arsene, uh, and the reason I picked this is Arsene Lupin was was contemporary to Sherlock Holmes, which was our which is the episode we just did. Um, he was created in 1905 by a French writer by the name of Maurice Leblanc. Right. And uh, like yeah. I said it's. He, the design he had for Lupin was was the image that sort of became like the staple for like the the gentleman burglar who steals away in the night and you never knew he was there. Right. If not for the note he left and the swooning women he left in his his trail. Sure. All that good stuff. Yep. All that stuff. Yeah. And I and, and like I said, it's it's something that I think has pervaded a lot of like the idea of like what is a like high class thief. Sure. And it all it all started like at the very start of the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, you can read some antecedents to that in like you know the Scarlet Pimpernel or or even Zorro, you know. Um, yeah, the, the, they they went with a much wider brim hat. Though. Yeah, of course, different hat and more sword fighting. <laughs> yeah. But sure. No, uh, Art, uh, Lupin was, was much more 
um, perfect stealth run to use to use a video game term sure. than than those who came before him. In that he was in and out, and you and you never knew he was there except for the fact that the only person who could have done it was him. Right. Like it's it's a it's a point of fact that's mentioned in the first few short stories that um, the only way that you can tell that. The crime was committed by Arsene Lupin is the fact that there's no clues leading to Arsene Lupin. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of my it's one of my favorites, and um, I spent yesterday reading uh, the first few short stories to prepare for this. Um, he was also a bit more prolific insofar as the amount of stories he had as compared to Sherlock. Right. Uh, seventeen novels and thirty nine novellas. Hmm a good output yeah that's that's uh that's a decent amount i think now i when i was looking it up i know that uh conan doyle did a lot more other books that never like were as famous as sherlock like he did a lot of like sci-fi actually yeah i think leblanc was was more or less a lupin guy i think that was like his bread and butter yeah that sounds about right but the the interesting thing I think about like the the trope of the gentleman thief versus the trope of the master detective is just the the air of mystery that has to go with it. Uh-huh. Where like with with Sherlock, you like you know everything about what's going on with that story. You know what evidence he's found, what route he's taking to reach the his conclusion. Uh, you know his process. You know his background through what's told through uh, right Watson. Um, you don't really find out that much about uh, Lupin. You don't find out about like any family where you would know. You know, like Sherlock has a brother, right? Um, you you don't really find out much about his associates aside from like when they're pivotal in the story. Aside from the fact that his associates are numerous and shadowy. Yeah. And the only real way you find out how he did something is if he decides that it's worth telling. I mean, like, it sounds yeah. And I think I think that's that's so important to the type of character because if you can figure out how the master thief did his crime, then how is he really a master thief? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like proto Batman a little bit too, you know. Um, yeah, kinda. I mean, it would. Um, well, because I'll tell you, some of the earlier Batman stuff had more of kind of the the debonair, suave playboy aspect of uh, Bruce Wayne, you know. Then, then cut to the fun, wacky, you know, Batman hijinks too. Yeah, I mean, the only like contemporary character I think who who keeps that same sort of air of mystery is is the character that's supposed to be his grandson, Lupin the Third, which I think is is the the interpretation of the of the Lupin story that most Americans would be familiar right. with through the through the anime. The anime, it's a Japanese cartoon based on a French French stories translated into english for our enjoyment yep that's pretty cool yeah and actually the funny thing about lupin the third is that uh when it was first being brought over to the united states as as dubs um there was still a copyright hold on the arsene lupin name so they had to translate it as wolf hmm. they gave him a nickname because they couldn't call him lupin oh all right yeah, so if you if you I rem- the the only time I remember like hearing that version of the dub was when I was like 14 and I found a loop on the third cassette at at uh Blockbuster Video. Amazing. Yeah, which dates me horrendously. Yeah. 
That's some 90s kids stuff right there. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, a lot of... Uh, whereas whereas a lot of home stuff was uh, was grounded in fact and science, because it, yeah, I mean, it had to be. That was the point of it. Right. So you could figure it out. A lot of, uh, a lot of Lupin stuff was more fantastical, more whimsical insofar as its interpretation of what's real and what's not. Right. Like, and, and it, it, it's one of those things where, like, as you move further down, like, that list of stories, it gets more wacky. Like, the first three stories is basically he sneaks on a cruise ship, uh, decides to get caught, and goes to prison and decides he wants to break out when he wants to break out. Okay. And I'll go over those a little bit more detail down the road here, but um, some of the things that like start cropping up in the story later is like a radioactive godstone that cures people and causes mutations. That's or a fountain amazing. of youth. Well, naturally. I wonder if they used that in the Sherlock Holmes uh, Saturday morning cartoon show. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I would, I would really like a, a Lupin... Saturday morning cartoon show. Yeah, it sounds pretty awesome so far. You know, I, I have a picture of uh, Maurice LeBlanc, and I also have a picture of uh, Conan Doyle here. They both had super awesome mustaches. Yeah, that was a thing. We've kind of lost our way in, in terms of men's facial hair, you know, since the turn of the century, I think. Start at the corner of the mouth and go out past the cheekbone. Yeah, we, we, we've lost our way in this. Mustache game is not on point. No, we've. Uh, I think it was somewhere around like World War Two, where it was like the the military cut and like discipline and all that. That must have been it, or it's like hippie backlash. You know, it's like eh, get a get a haircut. You damn hippie. Yeah, something like that. Um, but what was I say? Oh yes, um, Maurice LeBlanc actually tried to write Sherlock Holmes into a few stories of Arsene Lupin with Lupin obviously winning because that was the, the favor of the creator. Right. I was going to say, I mean, I think these two characters, you know, in, in so similar as they can be make really interesting kind of maybe not antagonists, but opposites in the same story, something like that. Yeah. And uh, LeBlanc tried to do that, but Conan Doyle was like, no. And uh, he had to change the name, and it was it's the most transparent thing I've seen ever. Because he changed the name Sherlock Holmes to Herlock Sholmes. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Just scoot that S over just a hey, little bit. He tried, you know. I mean, it probably was more clever in French. I, I don't know. I'm reading the French title. The the French title is Arsene Lupin contre Herlock Sholmes. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Maybe it sounds better because it's French. I mean, this sounds kind of like deviant art fan fiction too. You know, like that's how <laughs> I make you know, uh, San Sonya the Hedgehog fanfic. You know, it's totally OC. Do not character. steal. Yeah, exactly. It's totally original character <laughs> if you change some of the letters around. Um. And it looks like here that at one point that story was uh, translated over to English and they decided to mess with the name further. And the uh, U.S. adaptation of that that came out in 1910 for the U.S., it was switched to, oh God, how do I even pronounce this? Homelock Shears. 
Homelock Shear? Yeah. H-O-L-M-L-O-C-K. Yeah, Homelock. Shears for for Sherlock and Wilson for Watson. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Just call him something. I don't know. Just call him Dr. Billy or something. I don't know. And that that's the thing, though. I mean, it's in in keeping with the the trope of like the master thief. He had like his his rival detective, whose name was Gaminard. Right. So he didn't need Sherlock. It was just something that the the author really wanted to do. Right. And I'm looking at the cover to that book, and he draws Sherlock with the deer deer stalker cap. Oh, it was already a thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. By 1910, it was a thing. Yeah. See, that's what I mean, though. You know, even at the time, it's such an impactful character. You know, even as even as contemporaries were saying, like, I got to get that in there. Start the the detective story cinematic universe. let's get a Poirot in there too you know I saw Murder on the Orient Express and if you could get that Poirot the Robert Downey Sherlock and Arsene Lupin in one movie I would go to see it in theater like 10 times I know who you gotta get you gotta get Jean Dujardin from uh, that movie The Artist that came out a few years ago ooh yeah get him as Lupin because you know the guy's pretty much physically perfect and he's French (laughs) as hell yeah, French get those three to go. Get Downey Jr., uh, Downey, uh, um, Kenneth Branagh, and Jean Dujardin. Just do the the wacky, you know. Then you need a Miss Marple, though. Oh, God, now I'm stuck on this idea. <laughs> what do you get from Miss Marple? Emma Thompson, something like that? I don't know. But, but in the inevitable fight scene, it has to be Sherlock doing his normal... Yeah. Fight, fight style from Punch those movies, and Lupin has to be like swishing around them, like the yeah. like the landlord in Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah, exactly. And then and Poirot's just sitting in the corner drinking some tea. I'm like, this is happening. Yeah, I'll just trim my mustache. <laughs> but anyway, um, to illustrate like how these stories worked, I wanted to to give a brief synopsis of like the first three short stories. Right. That I read last night. I'm going to try and recall without notes because I left those at work. Alright. So the the first story, the the very introduction of Arsene Lupin, and if you if you've watched the the third Lupin the third anime series, this is gonna sound very familiar to you because they sort of like ran with that to start off Lupin the Third too. Right. It starts on a cruise ship. Okay. And it's told in first person perspective from one of the passengers. Right. And uh, one night, like in the middle of the, the cruise, they get a telegraph in that goes, Lupin the Third is on, or not Lupin the Third, Arsene Lupin is on the ship, has a wound on right arm, blonde hair, first right. cabin going by the name of R, and then the telegraph cuts off. Like, there's a lightning strike, and it disrupts things, and the telegraph cuts off. So, telegraph gets cut off. They have wound on right arm, uh, blonde hair, first cabin, first name, or name starts with R. And it, they make a, it ma- it's made a point in the narration of the story that if it was any other situation, it would be handled discreetly by the crew. But when news of Arsene Lupin is on the ship, there's no way you can keep that from spreading. Right. 
And then it's it sort of like puts that almost on the back burner of like this is the thing that's on everyone's mind and the the narrator goes on about oh there's this uh there's this woman that I'm really interested in uh but there's this other guy that she's more interested in than than me and it sort of goes on for that for a few paragraphs and then while while a bunch of people are sitting on deck on the cruise ship. He's like, well, we could probably figure out how who Lupin is based on the information they gave us. Like, trying to set it up as, like, the detective mystery. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, so we know he's in the first cabin. We know he has blonde hair. So that narrows it down to about, uh, like, 12 people. And we know his name starts with R. And they start going through all, like, the R names. And... This guy has has other people on board who know him. This one's someone's uncle. This one is a, a black-haired, bearded Italian man. And the only one that really matches the description is this one guy by the name of Rosane, who happens to be the rival for the affections of that one girl. Right. So they're like, okay, so roll up your sleeve. And he starts rolling up his left sleeve, mm-hmm. not his right sleeve. And right before the end of the narration, the narrator is saying, well, I'm going to call him out on this because that's his left arm. The uh, one of the crewmates comes up, uh, comes up and says, uh, so-and-so's jewels have been stolen. It must be Arsene Lupin. And they go to inspect it. And it's not just like his, their, her jewelry was stolen. It's that the precious gems in the jewelry were taken out, the fittings left behind, and just the precious stones taken. Wow. Off of, like, the main deck where anyone could have seen it. Like, in a private cabin that you could not have gotten into without someone noticing you. Alright. So that... That riles everyone up. And then the ship... Uh, then every, the uh, crew of the ship starts questioning... Uh, Rosane. I, I think that's what the name was. Right. The guy who rolled up his sleeve. Right. And they, they decide, well... It, it couldn't have been him. But everyone's still suspicious of him because, you know, mob mentality. Right. And uh, Rosane decides, you know what? I'm going to uh, give a thousand francs to whoever can bring me Lupin. Or bring me Lupin. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple more days on the cruise ship go by and, like, tensions start de-escalating. People, like, start just forgetting. Right. And then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, someone finds him on like the aft deck, uh, gagged with a with a gray scarf and his hands bound behind him. His wallet missing and a note in his place saying, uh, uh, "Bounty collected by Arsene Lupin." <laughs> and oh, I, I I skipped it over. Um, when they when they first get the telegraph, it like goes through like an introduction like paragraph of Lupin. Right. And one of the things it mentions is that he broke into someone's house, and when he left, all that was the uh, what was left was all the stuff. But a note said, "Arsene Lupin will return when the furniture is genuine." <laughs> so that's the kind of guy he is. Oh, that's Just mad. super, super glib, and like so, it's all a game. Who was, who was, uh, who was gagged and tied up though? Rosane. Oh, the, all right. the guy. Everyone, the guy they all thought. Yeah, and, and even though it's 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 entirely obvious that the guy couldn't have hogtied himself, people are like, well, maybe, maybe he's still Lupin. 
I mean, so yeah, yeah. You never know. I mean, try try and hogtie yourself and tell me how go how well it goes. I mean, that's pretty magical. Uh, so they never found the jewels, right? Um, and uh, the narrator though thanks Lupin for the fact that all the suspicion on Rosane made it so that the woman that they were courting went to him. I don't say that as like the crane game brought her to him. Like right. she picked him. Right. It all works out. Yeah. And then they, they get to the, the, they get to America cause that's where the cruise ship was going. Um, and they start letting people off one by one and Gaminard, uh, Lupin's detective adversary is, at the on the dock waiting, mm-hmm. and they start letting people off one by one. And the the narrator hands his camera to the woman he has been courting. And as the narrator gets off the ship, Gaminard stops and goes, "Hey, Lupin, I'm not Lupin. I'm and he gives a name that starts with a D, and goes, Lupin was supposed to be on the ship with a name starting with R. It's like." No, we know you sent that. Right. So, uh, to prove his point, uh, Gaminard strikes the narrator in the right arm and opens the wound up. Oh. And it's revealed in the narration that what Lupin did is after he took the jewels, he hid them in the camera. Uh. And it flashes to his mind like, okay, so she could either hand them the camera and I'm done for. Or she could walk away with it and hand it to them later, in which case I'm done for. Or she can just keep her mouth shut. And he watches the, the girl walk by and watches as she very, very casually, very discreetly just drops the camera into the ocean. <laughs> so, like, that's a woman! And Gominar looks confused and just arrests him. And then it, then the second uh, novella uh, starts with uh, a French aristocrat who lives on this impenetrable castle island with a collection of fine art that he's accrued and as per the gentleman thief trope he's a real like shit heel like no one likes him right and he's super suspicious and like the only way onto the island is like a road that has an electrified gate on it Mm -hmm. and like a blocked off tunnel and the rest of it's like craggy out uh craggy rocks right and one day in the mail, he gets uh, a letter saying, from Arsene Lupin, from and the name of the prison that he was sent to. Uh-huh. And it's like, I'm interested in this painting, this painting, this painting, and this painting. You can either mail them to me, or I'll come collect them on this date and take whatever else I like. It's like a shopping list. Amazon wish yeah. list. Yeah. And he has as a postscript, oh, by the way, I won't be taking this one painting because it's a, it's a counterfeit. The real one was burned at such and such date by this and this person. Right. So the, the French aristocrat freaks out, uh, reports to the police. Police don't believe him because Lupin's locked up. Newspapers don't believe him because Lupin's locked up. Uh, the newspaper reports to him that Gaminard is taking a vacation in the city. So he goes to find Gaminard while he's fishing. And Gaminard's like, no, I don't care. I don't want to help. I don't care. I'm on vacation. Lupin's locked up. If he breaks out, then it'll be my joy to catch him again. But he's locked up. It's a hoax. Don't worry about it. 
And the aristocrat's like, well, I'll give you 3,000 francs to to come guard my house this night. And he's like, all right, tell no one. Right. So Gaminard shows up with two burly, like, like gorilla-necked goons. Sets up the goons in, like, the main foyer and locks the door, sends all the, the servants home. Uh, goes with the aristocrat down to the tunnels and is like, is this the only way in? The, the aristocrat's like, yeah. Like, okay, so unless Lupin finds the other way to get into the house, this is where we're camping. Hmm. And Gavinar just sort of sits there and, like, takes a nap. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, the, uh, the aristocrat and Gavinar go back up to the foyer where all the art is. And the two goons are drugged asleep and everything's gone. <laughs> and when I say everything, I mean all the paintings plus the chandelier. I mean, does Lupin, like, carry around industrial lifting equipment, or, like, we're just supposed to kind of guess? No, he has, he has a crew. He has All accomplices. Right. All right. Shadowy accomplices. I'll take it. And the only thing anyone heard in the night was one solitary car beep. Car horn beep. <laughs> so Gaminar's like, I can't believe you pulled it over on me. I have to go figure this out. Don't tell anyone I was here. Hmm. So... Then it um, fast forwards a few days, and the the aristocrats filed a charge of burglary against Lupin, and that makes what uh, makes the police force in Ruin, which is where Gaminard is stationed, go. Okay, Gaminard, you have to go talk to Lupin, figure out what happened here. Right. So he so he sent to Lupin's cell, and he says there can't be any guards because if if there's any. He has any suspicion that anyone is going to, like, incriminate him based on what he says to me, then he's not going to talk. So he goes in there, and Lupin's like, Old friend Gaminar, how are you doing? How are the kids? Right. And they're they're literally just, like, shooting the shit in the the prison cell. And uh, while they're talking, uh, Lupin's lunch comes, and... uh, and while 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 they're talking, uh, Lupin's like, "Oh yeah, of course I did it. It was it was me a whole way." Yeah, I had my associates go, and they're gonna arrange to sell it back to him. And uh, that's uh, I just got the telegraph saying that the sale's going through, so that uh, that charge can be dropped, and there's no crime. <laughs> and Gaminar's like, "How did you get a telegraph?" And Lupin's like, "Open that egg." <laughs> there's a there's a telegraph with all like the identifying like location information cut out of it saying stale has gone down uh report will be rescinded uh so many francs have been taken for sale yeah and what it was is that it wasn't really gaminard that was vacationing in that town he had an accomplice go there say i'm gaminard uh... to the the newspaper and just like Play hard to catch. Oh my! Wow. Yeah, and it's it's written very cleverly that you don't know that until Lupin right. out and out says, "I paid someone to be you." Oh man! And then the, just... the the no, go ahead. No, I'm just that's 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 either brilliant or cheating. It's it's the it's the fine line of the gentleman thief story. Yeah, exactly. Like like Sherlock seeing a footprint and knowing the entire case, right? Yeah, there. no, I know what you mean. 
And the the third one, which is the last one I had a chance to read last night, and these are these are all like early days before like the the fantasy stuff got in there. Um, they decide they want to have Lupin lead them to his associates, so they arrange for a situation where Lupin will break out and they can tail him. So they take him to his uh, and and Lupin at this point has has out and out stated, "I will not be attending my trial. I will break out before then." <laughs> Just said it right to Gominard's face, like, I'm not going to be here for the trial. I'm going to be gone. Bye. That's what I'm saying when I get a traffic ticket. <laughs> yeah, but you're not in, like, the most secure prison in France. No, but still. So the way they arrange that is Lupin is being taken almost daily to, like, the courthouse for depositions. And the way they normally do it is he goes in a uh, prison... Like, whatever the turn of century equivalent of, like, a prison bus is. Right. Uh, with, like, five or six other inmates. And goes there, comes right back. But one day, it's just him coming back because the others were, weren't were done with their depositions. And while the carriage is stopped for a, a turned-over horse cart, he notices, he, he like... Moves his foot in such a way that it moves the bottom panel of the carriage he's in. And he slips out under the wheel well. Hmm. He uh, he runs for a few blocks, stops, looks around for a bit. Then just sticks his hands in his pockets and casually stra- saunters up to a cafe. Orders uh, a pack of expensive cigarettes and a coffee. <laughs> when it comes time to pay, he pa- he literally like does the, the pat myself down looking for my pocketbook. Yeah, and goes to the goes to the waiter. Um, excuse me, could you get me the manager? Right. And when the manager comes, he says, "Sorry, I forgot my pocketbook. You'll have to take me on my name. I'm Arsene Lupin. Bye." <laughs> and just walks away. That's pretty epic. And then, while he's smoking his cigarettes and going down the street, he walks back to the prison, goes up to the the guard at the front of the prison, and is like, "I would like to reclaim my prison cell on Arsene Lupin." <laughs> And the prison guard's like, what? Like, no, I'm Lupin. I'm supposed to be in there. Like, the, the prison guard's, of course, skeptical. It's like, and Lupin's like, like, look, listen, I'm going to go back in that cell because there's no way I'm going to meet any of my associates with the 20 guys you have tailing me. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I, I know that the, the Lupin the Third anime, uh, Use that cruise ship scene. I know it used the breaking out of prison scene. Right. Like, like it follows a lot of the same beats. And if you don't feel like reading turn of the century French literature, watching the anime is a good like second option to it because sure. it does like carry the heart of it through. Sure. I mean, it's probably a little less frustrating than BBC Sherlock. Uh <laughs> yeah. Depends Maybe. on how much of a purist you feel like All being. Right. All right. I don't think I don't think the real Arsene Lupin well the original Arsene Lupin had a Chicago gangster sharpshooter or a uh, a Ronin samurai following him around. It's possible not. I mean just fountains of youth and mutating stones. Yep, and Herlock Sholmes. Yep. God, that's gonna be um, me at Halloween. Herlock Sholmes? Yeah. Um they did eventually make a game of Sherlock Holmes versus Arsene Lupin, 
uh, after like the copyright expired for both of those characters. Right. Uh, released October two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, and you, cool. Yeah, so you play as Holmes uh, versus uh, Arsene, who's trying to steal England's most prized treasures. Right. And then the the other big interpretation that a lot of people might know of is uh, Lupin is uh, well, Arsene is what the persona of the main protagonist of Persona Five is called. Oh yeah. And he has the the same like giant top hat and monocle and fancy dress sense. I mean, it's a classy look. It is. And uh, the uh, main character also lives in a cafe named LeBlanc. Oh, all right. Oh, there you go. Yep, there's the connection. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess it's big in Japan. Yeah, I, I think that, from what I understand, Japan has a, a pretty pretty big fascination with like French culture. Huh, okay. It's not something that you would really expect, but it's yeah. it's apparently there. I can see it. Like there's also there's also like the French made cafes that right that's so famous from anime. Oh, those anime cafes. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's been our episode on Arsene Lupin. Awesome. Um. Uh, thank you all again for listening. If you have anything that you want to add to the conversation, you can always email us at scofflawspodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can join us online on Facebook at Scofflaws History of Law and Disorder, on Twitter at Scofflawscast. Uh, you can be that first lucky donor to Patreon, which, again, I will put on the Facebook. I have not had a chance to because I'm recording this 20 seconds after the last episode. <laughs> Uh, hello and, from the uh, past. Hello from the past to the future! Do you have flying cars yet? I don't think so. Uh-oh. So, John, this episode will be coming out on the 19th. Is there anything that's happening around that time you want people Ooh, to know about? 19th of October? Yep. Ah, there's still time to come see our War of the Worlds show. Me and my uh, podcast buddies locked into vacancy. Uh, doing the War of the World show on Tuesday the 23rd. And uh, we have our monthly shows at Stage 773 still. Uh, you can come check us out on Facebook and come on and see. Uh, what uh, what day are those stage shows usually? Yeah, usually second Sunday of the month. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, I have those off now. I might uh, come by and see those. Totally. It's a great time. All right. And... The dumb law uh, website has closed out. I have to reopen it. Ah. Uh, give me a state. State. Oh, man. Connecticut. Connecticut. All right, I got Connecticut. Connecticut. Hold up. All right. Um, <laughs> okay, here's a good one. In Connecticut, in order for a pickle to officially be considered a pickle, it must bounce. What? Okay. <laughs> So I guess someone has to test that? Like, is there a guy at the factory? I guess. I guess in Connecticut, there's there's the designated pickle bouncer. Yeah. I'm just imagining there's one, like, old guy in the union who's just, like, goes from factory to factory. Like, Let me get them pickles. Gotta bounce them pickles. <laughs> this one ain't bouncing. Ain't a pickle. Ain't a pickle if it don't bounce. Just a fermented cucumber. What the hell are you selling around here? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. 
This has been <laughs> this has been the Scofflaws SPF Wanda Supporter. Thank you for listening. My name is Sean. This has been John. Say bye, John. Bye, John. Got to bounce them biggles.